uh, will be in Isaiah chapter 51, and uh, we're going to jump right in. We will take prayer, excuse me, prayer requests at the end excuse me, of the service uh, tonight. But uh, I'm thankful Brother Hunter brought that up. It's something we talked about this afternoon. Um, I've said this so many times. I'll say it again. Um, God is not a respecter of persons. God loves every single human being exactly the same, regardless of their level of service for him. However, Satan oftentimes is a respecter of persons. And uh, for those who are serving in some level of leadership of God's people, oftentimes become the mark for Satan's attack. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I was trying to figure out what the appropriate, because I don't want to exaggerate, uh, but I think I can say there, there's not two weeks. I, I think I could probably say there's not a week that goes by, but to be safe, I'll say there's not two weeks that go by that I don't talk to some full-time servant, whether that's in, in, in the mission field or a pastor, uh, where they are not discouraged, they are not facing something. And uh, one of the ways that Satan oftentimes attacks it, and Brother Hunter mentioned it, um, if Satan wants to attack a leader, a lot of times he'll, he'll attack the followers to attack the leader, he'll attack the children, he'll attack the spouse and so forth. He said a little bit about Sunday night, um, that if a pastor can't rule his own house, he can't, he can't rule the house of God. And uh, so Satan so oftentimes will attack those um, those people. I saw a video, and I meant to post it. Maybe I'll post it tonight. I, I haven't been on, I've been on Facebook much. Um, there was a, a photo, and uh, it, I don't I think it won a competition or something, but it was a photo of a little impala. It was a baby impala, uh, impala this cute, cute little impala that had wandered up to a sleeping lion. And uh, the lion woke up, and I assure you, he didn't think, oh, how sweet, I'll let it live. Uh, he got up, and he chased that little thing down, and he ate it. And it just reminded me of Satan walking about seeking whom, whomever, he may devour. And uh, Satan is oftentimes looking for those vulnerable people uh, to cause the most damage to. And so if you would, keep our missionaries in prayer, please, and uh, keep our, our pastor friends in prayer and your staff, uh, your, your pastoral staff and, and folks. Uh, what a blessing it is. This is my thought as a, as a leader of the, the staff. It's a blessing to have a staff that church is called to ask, to say, hey, can your staff come fill our pulpit? And uh, we get them all the time. And what a blessing that is to be able to have some folks who know how to handle the word well enough that in the absence of a senior pastor, they can go. And each of our pastoral staff will be gone uh, this week at a different time, uh, filling in pulpits. And so praise the Lord for that. Well, keep them in prayer. Just a side thought. I wanted to kind of have a, a crack at that as well. But uh, let's jump into Isaiah. We're doing some connecting. We spent a lot of time in Isaiah's prophecy, and uh, by no design of my own, we're going to end up back there, and I didn't intend for this. In fact, I told you on uh, Sunday morning or Sunday night that we were going to jump back into Romans 10, and we will. So if you have two ribbons or more than two fingers, uh, you can jump over to Romans as well. Just keep your spot in the book of Isaiah, uh, particularly Isaiah 51, and, and more specifically, we'll be in Isaiah 52 for the host of the study. Um, but over the last few weeks, we spent a lot of time uh, looking at the different prophecies, um, so I won't go back and develop the background of Isaiah, we understand it's 700 BC, Assyria has destroyed the northern 10 tribes of Israel and they're gone for good. Uh, the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, are kind of hanging on by a thread. Uh, the Assyrians are threatening, they're sending letters. It's that letter that Hezekiah opens up before uh, the Lord. There's all kinds of problems. It's a dangerous situation. Um, at any moment, the Assyrians are coming. Now, we know from Scripture that God actually destroys the Assyrians and sends them away, but he does send Babylon instead um, to capture Israel. Um, but in Isaiah 53, let me just remind you of some of the prophecy, because we're going to fill in Isaiah 51 and 52. But we started in Isaiah 53, and we saw this was outside, and we did our fireside service. We saw the suffering Messiah. By his stripes we were healed. We esteemed him as stricken, smitten of God. We, we saw that. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. That's Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 was that beautiful parable. We, we did it on a Sunday morning. Um, I don't think it was Christmas. I think it was the week before Christmas uh, about the barren woman who he said, hey, sing out. You're going to forget your barrenness. You're going to forget 
forget uh, your widowhood. Your son is coming is essentially the promise uh, that Christ would come and he would break uh, the barrenness of Israel that they had waited so long for that Jesus would come and open up that, uh, that promise and prophecy. And then in Isaiah 55, uh, that was Isaiah 54. Isaiah 55 was actually, I think, where we started. And this was weeks before Christmas. Uh, we saw uh, this, this, this promise that he said, if you're thirsty, come and drink of me. If you're hungry and you don't have bread to buy, come, I will feed you. And that idea of a, a grace won victory and so forth was on that particular Sunday that we developed. But again, like I said, by no design of my own, um, really I'm kind of going backwards into Isaiah 52 from Romans 10. Romans 10, we, we talked about reaching the lost. How shall they hear without preacher. That's Romans 10. So we're going to see that. And that is a fulfillment. Romans 10 is a fulfillment of a prophecy we find in Isaiah 52. And so we're going to connect those two dots. And I want you to know in this series, I don't know how many more weeks we've got of this, but these, these testaments, the old and the new Testament, uh, they're not in contradiction in any way, shape or form with each other. Uh, they are one narrative that points to Jesus. And if that's not super clear from Isaiah, I don't know what you're looking for because Isaiah just keeps talking about him. Even in tonight's text, uh, the text, is actually a prophecy of someone else, um, and we're going to see that. I'll kind of let you kind of kind of mull that over and try to figure it out yourself. Um, but in, even in that prophecy of someone else, he talks about Christ and, and the hope that he would bring. And so the Old Testament and the New Testament are stitched together by these prophecies, these promises in the old fulfilled in the new, and even some promises in the old and the new that are yet to be fulfilled and will be fulfilled in the return of Christ. And so normally I would tell you what the prophecy is about on the front end of it, like in Isaiah 53, I'd say, hey, this is the suffering servant. This is Jesus. Let's look for him here. Uh, in Malachi, we saw uh, the prophecy, and I think it's Malachi 2, about John the Baptist, that the final messenger, the final uh, prophet would come. Isaiah 53 through 54 is entirely about Jesus Christ. But I want to ask you to think with me. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to actually wait for you to try to mull it over. I want you to think with me. Uh, who is Isaiah's, Isaiah 52's prophecy about? Who is it talking about that's going to come? Uh, now, again, like I said, you're going to find Jesus throughout. He's going to be the one that reigns. God reigns in Zion, okay? And how he reigns is through Jesus. But the focus, the subject, if you will, of Isaiah 52 is not Jesus. It's someone else entirely. Um, so the chapter deals, let me kind of give some, some overarching themes because we won't go every verse, but the chapter deals primarily with the idea that God is going to send good news to these captive people. He wants to bring the straying back to himself. He wants to bring the captive back to them, uh, himself. And so at this point in the book, I, uh, I, uh, Israel is really... They're in the dregs of sin. Uh, and that's actually a word we're going to get out of Isaiah 51. They are reaping because of their foolish idolatry. They have worshipped gods that do not exist. And they have, tr they have sold themselves into bondage for literally nothing, God's going to say. But he has a plan to redeem them back to himself, even though they have strayed. Now, in order to lay some background for 52, let's just real quick back up to the end of 51. So Isaiah 51, verse 21, is going to be our first text. But again, we're focusing in on Isaiah 52. Look at Isaiah 51, verse 21. It says, therefore, hear now this, thou afflicted and drunken, but not with wine. Um, and, and this is a kind of a play. Not, I don't know if that's the right word, not a play on words, but he's going to use this a couple of times. He's going to say, you are this, but not the normal way. You're drunk, but it's not wine. Uh, you've sold yourself, but it's not with this. He's going to use that uh, kind of a uh, figure of speech. I'm not sure exactly what it would be called, but he says, therefore, now this, uh, hear this, uh, thou afflicted and drunken, but not with wine. Thus saith the, the, thy Lord, the Lord, that's verse 22, and thy God that pleadeth the cause of his people. Now that's a, an interesting way to say it. Y'all are looking around like that's not the right passage, is it? 
Oh, it's just that. Oh, okay. All right. I thought somebody was rumbling. Um, look, at the, look at the structure of sentence, uh, verse number 22. Thus saith thy Lord, the Lord. And aren't you thankful that your God is the God? That you're not just worshiping some random God that isn't actually a powerful God? And he's trying to prove that point. He says, thus saith thy Lord, the Lord, and thy God that pleadeth the cause of his people. Behold, here's the plea. Behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling. Even the dregs of the cup of my fury, thou shalt no more drink it again. So here's what God is saying with him. And this is a beautiful prophecy as well. This is, again, we're connecting dots. This is a prophecy of, of the Garden of Gethsemane. You might, you might see a word in there that kind of jogs your memory. Here's what God said. I'm taking away the cup of my fury. I'm taking away the cup of my wrath. I'm taking away the cup of the, the dregs uh, of my fury. And to whom did he give that cup? To whom did he give the cup of the wrath of God? In fact, we would certainly know this. It would be Jesus. And I'll give you the prophecy that was fulfilled in the garden, Matthew 26, 39. And so if you're in the habit of writing in the margin of your notes, I would write right there next to verse number uh, 22. I would write Matthew 26, 39. It says in Matthew 26, 39, again, fulfilled 700 years later in the garden of Gethsemane. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So the cup of the Lord's wrath is what Jesus drank from. What we rightfully deserve, what in Isaiah 51, God said, I'm going to take that cup of my wrath from you. I'm going to take it and give it to what we'll find is the Messiah, his son. Look at verse number one of the next chapter. So here we kind of got a little bit of groundwork. They're, they're in the dregs of sin. They're supposed to drink the wrath. They're, uh, but God says, I have a plan for you to bring you back to myself. Isaiah 52, verse number one, it says, awake. Awake, put on thy strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. From henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. He says, hey, put your celebration clothes on. Get excited. This is, this is time to celebrate, not time to mourn. Well, if we know the context... It is a bit time to mourn. <laughs> I mean, uh, Israel has fallen. Judah will fall. Idolatry is running rampant. And so God tells them, hey, no, no, no. Uh, it, it's time to get ready to celebrate. Now, we also know, and this is kind of a complex thing to kind of wrap our heads around. One day with the Lord is a thousand years. This is 700 years before Jesus comes and breaks this captivity. They will go into captivity. It'll, be, it'll get worse before it gets better. And yet God says, because of the good news that I am coming to take the wrath from you, he says, put your celebration clothes on. Get ready. Put on my strength. Get ready to celebrate. There's something coming. And in the timetable of God, he's looking at Christ. Look at verse number two. Shake thyself from the dust. Arise and sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. He says, don't mourn. Get up out of the dust. Don't, don't, don't stay down there. That's what you would do when you would mourn. He says, no, no, no. Stand up and shake off that dust and, and get ready. There's something great coming. Verse number three. For thus saith the Lord, Ye have sold yourselves for naught, and ye shall be redeemed without money. Now, that's a really beautiful picture of how they were redeemed. Now, real quick, uh, right next to that in the column, if you're in the habit of it, 1 Peter 1, 7. And if you're fast, turn over there, but keep your fingers in the other places I had mentioned. So he says, for thus saith the Lord, ye have sold yourselves for naught. Really what he told him is, you sold yourself into slavery and got nothing in return. It's not even like you sold yourself and made money. Here's what they did. They went to false gods and worshiped them and by that purchased themselves bondage. What did they get in return? A stone idol, a golden idol, nothing. 
It's a fake God. And he says, you've left me and worshipped gods that don't exist, and you've sold yourself and got nothing in return except bondage. And then he says, but I'm going to redeem you without money. And so when God is going to buy these people back to himself, he is not going to use uh, uh, the corruptible things. And let me get there as well. 1 Peter 1.7. I've got the wrong verse in my reference there. I apologize. 1 Peter. Brother Bob, you got that right there? I got it. 1 Peter 1, verse number 7. Let me read it out for you. It says that the trial of your faith, uh, that being more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. It's a great verse, but it's not the one that I'm looking for. I apologize. What is it? 118. Yes, thank you. I've got it highlighted here. Thank you, Brother Hunter. It says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by the traditions of your, from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. And so here, back in Isaiah, he says, hey, when I buy you back, I'm not using corruptible things. I'm not using silver and gold. And Peter is, is heralding back to that, that promise that when we were bought back, we weren't bought back with money. Jesus didn't show up with a bunch of money and throw it at the, at the priest's feet. No, he showed up with the precious blood of Jesus uh, to offer for us a way to be pardoned. So jump back into Isaiah 52, if you would. And again, keep yourself there. We're going to tether to that verse. We will jump into the New Testament a couple times, but we're going to tether to that verse. Verse number four says this, For thus saith the Lord God, my people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there. So what God's about to do in verse number four is he's going to try to call to remembrance uh, some of the, uh, the, 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 the captivities that Israel has experienced up until now. And he says, you remember when you went to Egypt and sojourned there, and in your sojourning you were persecuted and you were, you were treated poorly. The rest of verse number four says this, And the Assyrians oppressed them without cause. Now, the reading of that verse is a little bit funny. It, it's absolutely correct, but in our understanding, it looks like he's saying, hey, you went down to Egypt and you were persecuted by the Assyrians. No, he's saying they're two different things. You were in Egypt, you were persecuted, then the Assyrians came and they persecuted. So on the timetable of this prophecy in Isaiah 51, uh, Israel, the northern ten tribes, have been gone for 150 years. So he's talking to Judah, and he says, do you remember your, her- your heritage? Do you remember your history, how long ago you were in Egypt and, and you were judged? How long ago, 150 years ago, your, your brothers and sisters to the north were absolutely decimated? Uh, verse number 5, again, it says this. Look at it if you would. Now, therefore, what have I here, saith the Lord? So he says, look at present day. He says, back in, in, in Israel you, or in Egypt, you were persecuted, and the Assyrians, they came and they persecuted. But now, therefore, what have I here, saith the Lord, that my people is taken away for naught? That they rule over them, that, uh, uh, forgive me, they that rule over them make them to howl, saith the Lord, and my name continually every day is blasphemed? What he's saying is, hey, back in Egypt, you worship false gods, and, and there were things that happened in the Assyrians because they worship false gods. They were destroyed, and now there's no difference of today. My people are still being ruled over and made to howl, and they still blaspheme and worship false gods. But he's going to do something big for them. Verse number six. Is, we're, getting, we're getting to our text. It's actually verse seven, but let's look at verse six. Therefore, because of those things, because of your history, therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore shall they know that uh, know in that day that I am he that doth speak. Behold, it is I. 
And I can't help but think of the words of Jesus, I am that I am. It is me. It's I. I'm here. I am the I am. And he says, that, listen, I'm going to do a work in and among my people. You're going to know it was me, that I'm, and I'm coming, and you're going to know that it was me that came. Now we're going to get to our text tonight. Um, this is the prophecy we haven't seen. Up until now, you can see Christ throughout the passages. But before we read and develop the next passage, I want to, I want to make note of an intentional shift in focus. In verses 1 through 5, he kind of is talking about their own sin. So it's almost like, hey, look within. And then in verse 6, he says, but look up. Uh, it's I that's coming. But then in verse 7 and 8, it's, look at me here real quick. It's like he says, look out. Look above the mountains. Just look out there on the horizon. Something, someone is coming. Okay, look at verse number 7. How beautiful upon the mountains. So, so don't just look in at your own failures and maybe you guys failed in Egypt and you failed with the northern tribes and you're failing now. And Don't look within and don't look, without, don't look up, but look out upon the mountains. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace and bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. There's a word picture here, and I hope that your mind is shooting off from Romans chapter 10. I think it's verse 16 and 17. We'll see it in a second. But there's a word picture here in our text. He's saying, hey, Judah, you're, you're there in Jerusalem, and your walls are, are, are being encroached upon, and the enemy is coming. And he says, listen, I want you to look up beyond your walls, and I want you to look out into the mountains, and I want you to look out into the hills, and you're going to find there's a messenger that's coming. Someone's coming to bring good news to you. Now, this is war-torn Judah. Remind yourself of that. This is a place surrounded by their enemies. And he tells them, look up, there's going to be messengers of hope. And this messenger isn't the hope. He's just the one that's bringing the message of the hope. He's the one bringing the glad tidings that salvation has come and that God has won the war and the battle is over. God reigns in Zion, uh, this besieged city of Judah, what they would call Zion. He says the messenger's coming over the hills to bring this beautiful news that God already won the war. You don't have to live in defeat. There's no more war. You're safe. You don't have to drink the cup of God's wrath any longer. He has delivered you. Now, the messenger isn't the one who delivered. He, who delivered the city. He's the one delivering the message. Now, Think about it in Israel's context. No doubt their expectation of fulfillment would have been this. Like, any time now, it, there's going to be a messenger come run over the hills to tell us that, that Assyria's gone, that God wiped them out. Now, some of that does indeed happen, but that's kind of their expectation that any moment now, this messenger who has beautiful feet is going to come running over the hills and bring them good news that God destroyed your enemies. You're now safe. But that doesn't happen in the Old Testament. The fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah comes in the New Testament. And it's not even through Jesus. It is ultimately through Jesus. But it's when Jesus starts his church, commissions his saints to go out into the world and proclaim that he has come to bring liberty to the captives. This is a prophecy, not of Jesus, but this is a prophecy of soul winners. This is a prophecy of those who carry the message of hope that God reigns in Zion. The battle's already over. Everything that needed to be won has already been won. All the enemies have been put down. It's a prophecy of those who would bring the message to the captives, bring the message out there. Now imagine with me, put yourself back in Israel's context. If there was, I mean, just imagine there are, there are captives in a war-torn country hunkering down like Israel was, setting watch, fearfully waiting. At any time, full destruction is going to come, even though in this, this kind of, uh, this, this, uh, this, this kind of made-up story, even though the war's already been won, they don't have to be afraid, the victory's already been won, and yet they're hunkering down because they, they don't know they could be free. 
They could experience liberty, but they don't know it. They live in fear because they don't know that God reigns in Zion. All they've been told is, in Israel's day, all they know is that Israel's been destroyed. Uh, Assyria's growing stronger. They're breathing out threatenings to Judah. Now, again, imagine these messengers were sent to go tell that country, hey, go to Jerusalem and let them know that, that it's all over, that I've won. Now, imagine if those messengers just chose not to go. Here's an entire city of people, an entire country of people hunkered down. They don't have to hunker down. The battle's over. The enemy's gone. It's over. Just, the messenger just has to go to tell them that the battle is won and God reigns in Zion. And could you imagine how, how foolish it would be if the messenger wouldn't go? How unfair it would be because those people can live in freedom. The king's already won. God already reigns in Zion. They can proclaim salvation to the captives. They can proclaim liberty to the captives. They can be free. They just need a messenger to go. This is the word picture of Isaiah. This is the prophecy of Isaiah. And again, I'm not saying this is fulfilled in the New Testament just because I see some kind of parallel. I, I want you to go, and Paul tells us this is a prophecy in the, if fulfilled in the New Testament. Romans 10, 13, if you would please go there. This is a passage, like I said, we read Sunday morning and Sunday night. Keeping your finger in Isaiah 52, if you would, as I said before. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. A very famous verse, very familiar passage. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God for that. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Put yourself back in Isaiah 52. These captives hunkering down, hoping for salvation. He says, no, 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 salvation's already been won. How are they supposed to know that? How are they supposed to believe on a God who conquered if nobody told them? How are they supposed to believe if nobody comes, if nobody preaches to them that, that captivity is broken? And verse number, uh, verse number 15, how shall they preach except they be sent? Now, here's a key phrase we already pointed out to you. Would you read it out loud with me? The next four words, as it is that's a connect-the-dot moment. Anytime you see, so it was fulfilled, or as it was written, as the prophet said, uh, that it must be fulfilled, anytime you find any of that, you know there's a dot to be connected. So how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now that's Romans 10, 15. I'm going to read for you again Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings that publish peace and also salvation. Now, in fact, if you keep reading Romans 10, I hope you're still there. Look at verse 16. We find another direct connection between the book of Romans back to Isaiah. Verse 16. But they have not, uh, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah, or Isaiah, saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Now, that might sound familiar because that's the opening statement of Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And Isaiah 53 unfolds from that particular place. And so God has, all the way back in Isaiah, but really all the way back from the foundation of the world, God has always had a plan that he would redeem mankind. 
that he would set at liberty the captives, that he would be able to free them from their bondage, that he would win the war, that God would reign in Zion and that he would be their God and they would be his people. And on Calvary, Jesus won the war. It was over. He crushed the head of the serpent, that great enemy. He took the venom. He took the sting. There is no more sting in death. There is no more victory in the grave. And he conquered sin and the grave. And so he made a way for men to be free. But here's that city. What happens if they never hear? What happens if the messengers never come? What happens if they don't come on time? They could be free, but oftentimes they die in their bondage because the messenger will not go. Gentlemen, would you put the map up there, please, if you would? This is going to be somewhat of a goad throughout the year. A goad is a pointy stick that shepherds use to move sheep in places they don't often want to go. On the other side of these hills, and you can see some of the topography in this, this, this dark picture, On the other side of these hills, there are communities with no messengers to tell them. And they're waiting, not knowing in many contexts that the battle has already been won, that Satan has already been put down, that sin has already been destroyed, that the grave has no victory. That battle's already won. God reigns in Zion. And can I ask you a question that kind of brings us into one final thought as we go? Well, number one, we need to go. But let me ask you this final question that kind of brings to the surface, I think, the point Isaiah and Romans was trying to make. What is it God said was beautiful about the messenger? Was it their mouth because they spoke so well that they showed up and they could orate such a beautiful presentation of, Thus saith the Lord, God reigneth in Zion, thou art free forever. No, had nothing to do with the mouth of the messenger. It had everything to do with his feet being beautiful. You know why? Because it was the feet that carried him from the king to the captive. It was the feet that were willing to go over the mountains to that city and carry the gospel, the good news, glad tidings that they could be free. And some of us get caught up on the gospel idea because, well, I I don't have a beautiful mouth. I don't have a beautiful oratory ability. I'm not a word person. I can't speak. I I don't have beautiful mouth. You don't need beautiful mouth. You need willing feet. And that's why Isaiah says the feet are what we're grateful for because the messenger came all the way to Jerusalem to say, great news, God reigns, you're free. It was the feet that carried them. The message was exactly the same. You already have the message. We just need people with feet. We need people who are willing to go out and carry the gospel to this world. Because again, this is not a a uh, proverbial situation where there's a city waiting. This is a biblical reality of the communities around us that sit in darkness, not knowing they can be free, not knowing that you and I already have the message of redemption, that they are bought not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, they're redeemed back to themselves, not with money. And you and I have everything we need, including some feet or a method through which we can get the gospel out. But you and I have the responsibility to carry that message to the captives. So I find it beautiful. All the way back in Isaiah, in the the, the midst of their bondage, he says, great news, someone's coming. But it wasn't the messenger that says, hey, great news, Assyria died. No, it's the promise of the, the saints of God, the followers of Jesus, who would go over the mountains to the rest of the world to bring glad tidings of good things that shall be to all people. Let's pray.